On this episode of Dig Me Out. Somebody in the band doesn't miss, doesn't really know how to write a chorus. Well, I hear what you're saying, but here's why you're wrong. <laughs> I don't know what part this is. It's a good part. I just don't know where the chorus was. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Tim Minichi. Joining me once again, Jason Ziak. Jay. We have a yes. we have another listener suggestion this evening. Oh man, these are starting to become really str- uh, kind of stressful. <laughs> this is actually the third one that we have re- that we're reviewing from John. He gave us head candy, and he gave us uh, what was the other one he gave us? Do you remember? Oh, the three sixties. That was it. Okay. So they have they have gotten incrementally better. I believe your quote on the 360s was, "I like this record, but I don't know why." <laughs> yeah, I think I did say that. Why? What I'm doing hosting a podcast? I, I have no idea with that kind of crap. But that kind of insightful <laughs> observation. That's yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. I think when you heard the fu- the further quote and the full quote, you. It made sense, but... Well, I'm all about taking quotes out of context and repurposing them for my own devious plans. So, tonight, we are reviewing The Sidewinders. Which, when you Google this band, you learn a lot about missiles. (laughs) And snakes? Yes, and snakes. Uh, So, let's get into the history of the Sidewinders. They formed in the spring of 1985 in Tucson, Arizona by guitarist Rich Hopkins and vocalist David Slutes. Or I think it's Slutes because it's not Sluts. I think it's Slutes. I'm going with Slutes. They released that their, makes you feel better. Yeah, yeah, it does. They released their first album, which is a Spanish word. I believe it's Cuacha... It's C-U-A-C-H-A. Cucha? Is it Cucha? I don't know. In 1988. Cucha Macha? And then they they signed to RCA Mammoth, and they released 1989. uh, In 1989, the album Witch Doctor, and then the album we're reviewing tonight, 1990's Auntie Ramus's Pool Hall. Uh, Witch Doctor actually managed to make it onto the Billboard 200 at 169, uh, they had two modern rock radio hits and had videos on MTV and VH1 and went on a worldwide tour, but the band ran into legal problems because it was discovered in 1991 that a North Carolina cover band was also called Sidewinder, and they sued the Sidewinders over use of the name. It took Oh, God. Yeah, it took two years of the band fighting this and they eventually had to change their name to the sand rubies <laughs> wait they <laughs> part of the legal the legal settlement settlement was not only did they have to change their name but the judge actually gave them the name yeah he picked it out of a hat. sand rubies he said, I'm, I'm putting 10 names in this hat whenever i pick out that's your new band name so the the sand rubies <laughs> released an album <laughs> On uh, 
Polydor Atlas in 1993. Sand rubies, that's horrible. Yeah. Pearl Jam opened for them in 1993. Uh, but due to some problems, or due to the, the legal troubles, uh, the rhythm section had quit, and the band broke up during their 1993 tour. It was right around this time that a little band called the Gin Blossoms, also from Arizona, started to get popular. And then later, another band from Arizona called The Refreshments. So they played Son some... Son of a bitch. Yeah, they played some random shows in 95 and 96, and then they reunited officially in October of 96. They played at South by Southwest the following year, uh, recorded a new album called Return of the Living Dead, which came out in 1998. Uh, they re- self-released a best of from their major label years called the Sidewinder Sessions. And then they did an all-covers album called Release the Hounds, which was released in 1999 along with a tour of Europe. Then they broke up again, played some shows in 2001-2002, broke up again, played some shows in 2006, and uh, re-released some of these albums without much fanfare. They're doing all this activity under the name Sand Rubies? Yeah, well, the the... I believe it was, um, it was called the Sidewinder. It was called the Sand Rubies was the band, and then they called the album the Sidewinder Sessions to get away with actually including Sidewinder uh, in the. Good grief. Yeah. So, they did score a hit off the album that we're reviewing, Anti Ramos's Pool Hall. Uh, the lead track "We Don't Do That Anymore" made it to number 23 on the U.S. Modern Rock Chart in 1990 so, this is a band that you know touched the outside of rock radio for a brief time but pretty much missed the entire boat on the alternative rock revolution of the 1990s because they were pretty much you know done and then resurrected as half of what they were and never really regained uh, that popularity in other Arizona bands stepped in and took the mantle from them so i had no idea that arizona apparently has a sound there's a scene and a sound coming out of arizona in the 90s i didn't know that kind of does and and, uh in preparing to read about this band or you know research the history of the band when i was listening to it i i don't know if i wrote it down or if i just kind of thought about it but the Gin Blossoms were a name that sort of came up. Uh, normally, they're associated with pretty um, not good music, but they do have one or two good singles. So, uh, and I think that's what I was hearing. Uh, but I, I think uh, Jay, you should start this one out. Oh Tell man, what you think of this band? I mean, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this record <laughs> oh stop it don't patronize me i'm not patronizing you i'm patronizing you um whew, so yeah this sounds a lot like uh head candy to me <laughs> um and in some ways doesn't sound sound exactly like 360s but share some of the same characteristics so what are those um there's a good guitar player here, a uh, guitar player who at times carries a lot of the choruses. Um, there's a good singer that doesn't necessarily know, or somebody in the band doesn't nec- doesn't really know how to write a chorus. 
Whoa! But the singer, but the singer is is he's got a good voice most of the time. Uh, there's a couple songs in here. I'm not sure if he's singing or not, or if somebody else is singing. Uh, particularly the last song, and then there's one other. I'd have to look at my notes, but there's one other where it doesn't sound like, at least at the beginning, he's singing. Um, but anyway, uh, I think in a lot of cases the verses and the build-up, uh, th- there'll be like a verse and then like a kind of a pre-chorus thing. And those are usually the best parts of the songs for me when they get to the chorus. Uh, usually the best, the most memorable part and the best melody is played on guitar. It's not sang. Um, and that was something I think Head Candy did quite a bit, and 360s did quite a bit too. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's just a different style, I suppose. Uh, at times, like the first song, kind of sounded vaguely familiar, so maybe I had heard it before. I'm not quite sure, but there's a lot of parts in that song, and I couldn't tell you which one the chorus is. There's a lot of like good parts that are like oh that part's cool and that part's cool and that part's cool and I like when they do this but like if you played the song back again and said okay where's the chorus I would probably guess two or three different parts and be like oh that's the chorus You'd be like nope not there yet oh this is the chorus nope just missed it it's just like not quite sure what parts of the songs are, are the choruses uh, the parts are good it's just uh, I guess maybe unconventional uh, maybe I'm just not savvy enough to pick up on it but it's not always obvious what the chorus is. Um, Production-wise, I think this is it's pretty solid. Um, I think uh, the Jim Blossom comparison is interesting. It's a band in my notes I wrote down quite a bit. Uh, I will give them the benefit of the doubt and say that the Jim Blossoms were probably ripping them off as opposed to the other way around by the timeline you gave me. Um, and a lot of that just has to do with rhythmically uh from a rhythm guitar standpoint from a just a chord progression standpoint it can get very generic like just very typical not very inventive guitar riffs and chord progressions um sometimes the rhythm section saves it sometimes the vocal saves it it makes it more interesting but the you know the core of the songs are not the most inventive uh things in the world the one thing it reminded me of and i couldn't quite figure it out until today there's a couple songs on here that sound a lot like uh ladder uh like the last two springsteen albums 
where he like really really simplifies down what he does i'm thinking of like uh is it radio radio nowhere radio yeah there's a couple songs on here that sound like a lot like that riff uh in that song and just that kind of even vocally a little bit he sounds a little bit like springsteen he doesn't do the springsteen delivery style and the songs are not like born to run ask that's what i'm saying it's like the latter day stuff that springsteen's doing now where he sort of simplifies that down into you know more conventional song structures and simpler riffs and chord progressions um so i I don't know i mean that's kind of where i'm at with it um I think there's, you know, when they go up tempo, I'm way more interested than when they slow down. Um, there's a couple tunes on here, like track four, which is just weird. It almost sounds like a, like a Johnny Cash song or something played on electric guitar, and it's got like this drum roll thing going on. That's a cover. That's a cover of the band. Oh, Love. is it? Okay. Okay. It, it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Like it doesn't really fit the record. Huh. Well, I hear what you're saying, but here's why you're wrong. <laughs> this is an. Okay. This is a great bar band record. Yeah. This is. I, the thing that you were hearing in the first song that took me a while to catch on to. Is that you're hearing the jangle pop that would become the mid-era Buffalo Tom, like Red Big Red Letter Day, mm-hmm. and the It's a Shame About Ray era Lemonheads. Yep. This I don't know what you're hearing, but the choruses on this record, on at least half the songs, are enormous. Track three, oh, Get Out of Town. On has a What's huge, the chorus? huge chorus. What is they it? repeat Sing get out of town over and over again. It's just it's, <laughs> it's no it, and not just repeating oh, it, but oh, there are oh, there oh, are oh. there are just because you harmonies, repeat it over and over again doesn't make gang it big. vocals going on. There's har- there's harmonies which you don't hear you didn't hear it on the head candy record. Didn't hear it yeah. on these record. There are all sorts of layered vocals that are going on which bring up the which bring up the choruses.
the first there. song, we don't do that anymore, has a great chorus. The second song, Sarah's Not Sober, it's a little bit more, um, I would guess you'd say, less poppy, more uh, uh, straight up rock. And whereas like tracks three and one are a, li- are a little more um, restrained. Um, that has a big chorus. The chorus of... I, I'm just I'm befuddled by what no, you're not uh, hearing. Okay, l- l- let me explain that. Okay, the the vocals are great. The backup vocals are awesome. But adding backup vocals to a line and repeating it over and over again does not make a chorus. So that one song you're saying, like, it, here's the chorus. Get out of town, get out of town, get out of town. there's a counter melody on the guitar. Get out of t- that's not a chorus. Yeah, it is. It is in the context no, of the not. song. You're taking it out of the song, and you're, you're wrecking the context but it works because it's it's a chorus doesn't have to have like a, uh, the it's lines. It's fine. It's fine. It's just not. I, that's not to me. You know, it's not a pop type. That that is not something Cheap Trick would sing. No, they're not trying like, to be a power pop band. Of course. Well, I know, but okay. So in the context of so in the context of maybe Roots bar band rock, that's a good chorus. Yeah, that's what, that I'm what you... yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I'm saying. Okay. But but but, that's, but that's, even that's better than that because most of, most of those bands, the thing that they miss, most of those bar band quote quote unquote things that they miss is that they don't have a really strong chorus. And I'm telling you, on ha- this is a 12 song record, and on half the songs, there are really strong choruses. Track six, um, if I can't have you, it's a, a little bit more mid tempo, but it totally reminds me of. Um, the, when Sugar would dial down the guitars and they'd mm-hmm. play a song like I Can't Believe What You're Saying. Um, I, but I want to get in the second half of this record because I think in the second half is where they start to play around with some different tempos and, and, and sounds. Um, track 8, Come On Like the Sun, they had a violin and then they had a female counter vocal. And it's a nice, you know, a lot of the first half of the record is pretty rocking. And they sort of bring it down to like a mid-tempo track, which is a nice change of pace. Female vocal in the in the violin is a nice change. I'm gonna offer up a criticism though. I wish they would have got a female vocal that was a different register than his. That's legit. Because it, I mean, it almost sounds like the same voice. I mean, you get that it's a female, but it, just in terms of like it having a contrast, there's barely any contrast to it, and they can't really. S- I love when you do like a female male vocal and you sort of do an exchange and then you sing together and do it harmony, and they don't really do that because their voices are too similar to do a harmony so the other t- but it, it was refreshing to hear the other voice the other song i wanted to bring up was the actually the last song last night of your life 
it had a, a real, like, and this isn't the most popular area of, era of the band, but it had a, a late replacements sound, a late era repa- replacement sound. Um, I'm thinking Don't don't Tell a Soul, like that. What song are we talking about? Last Night of Your Life. And it ends on a guitar, like, jam freak out for, like, two minutes. I don't, I don't have that song. You don't have that song? No, last song I have is Little Boy, track 10. Oh, you're missing two songs. Son of a... Are you serious? Yeah, there's two songs after that. Can't Let Go oh, and maybe Let's I would... Maybe that's where the courses were. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, I just, I don't really understand what you're not hearing <laughs> with this record. Like, if, if this band played in front of Wilco, when I saw Look. Wilco for the first time on their, you know, first on their tour for being there and these guys opened up, I would have bought the record immediately. So I'm like, I, yeah, cause I, I bet this is an amazing live band that these guys are like energetic and they, you know, they turn up the volume on stage and they're sweating and they're, you know, screaming these vocals out and there's three guys singing, you know, there's probably the bass player and the guitar player are singing. And, um, yeah, I I see these as like not just good courses, but like courses you can sing along to while you're drinking a beer. They're like they're catchy and they're simple, and there's not, you know, they're not. It's not a complex band in any way, shape, or form. You're right. The chord progressions are not complex. The leads he is playing are not complex. Almost every solo starts out with like a single note, or writing a single note for like two measures, because that's that guy's style. And it totally works. Uh, he does some pretty, he does some pretty intricate stuff here and there. I yeah, mean, he, he knows how to play. And he does I'm just some saying stuff. the start of every I just, solo. Kind of. a, um, maybe it's all the Wilco that you listen to. I, I mean, I, seriously, like I just, I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I just did. When it comes to the chorus, a lot of times, I don't know that it's the chorus. The only thing that clues me in the core is that it's probably the chorus is that they'll bring a back background vo- vocal part in at that point, and I'm like, oh, they're doing a background vocal. This must be the chorus. If this guy played these songs on electric guitar or on acoustic guitar by himself, I would not be able to tell where the chorus is. And that's it, it's not, it doesn't make this album necessarily bad. It's just you know it's kind of a bar band. Bar bands are bar bands for a reason. They're not pop bands and they're not commercially successful huge bands and radio bands. If they were radio bands, they'd be called radio bands. <laughs> they're bar bands. They're you know about live moment they're about performance they're about you know rooty riffs they're about you know attitude it's not always like you know amazing pop songwriting and I'm, I'm just saying that that's that's not part of this this record there's a lot of other cool stuff going on but that's not part of it to me well you're you're entitled to be wrong about that that's fine <laughs> but if you're really into the bands that you talked about, I mean, but even the rela- replacements have way more memorable choruses and stuff than this band does. I mean, the Jim Blossoms do. The a lot of the bands you, I mean, Muoko, yeah. all those bands that you're sort of th- lumping them with, in with, like I know in those and the, when those bands play a song, like where the chorus is, I can tell you, yeah, here we're, we're in the chorus right now. A lot of times in these albums, I just can't tell you. I'm like, I think this is a pre-chorus. I'm not sure, and then they go into like a guitar solo part, and I'm like. Well, I would think the guitar- chorus was supposed to be here, but he's playing a guitar solo, so I don't know. I guess this is 
the second verse. I, I don't know where, I don't know what part this is. It, it, it's a good part. I just don't know where the chorus was. I don't think it's that complicated. I I just think you have a natural, not natural, but you have a you have some sort of a a dislike of um, these the bands that that aren't. Uh, they're not on one side or the other. This is a very like down the road, down the middle of the road, just rock band, and they don't have like a particular. I mean, these guys would be playing in like jeans and flannels. They wouldn't be like in t-shirts. They wouldn't have a look. Yeah, um, I know. I like that. That's cool. I'm sure if I saw them live, I would like them. Just telling you, I wouldn't walk out singing any of the songs. I think you would. <laughs> I've listened to the album a billion times. I can't sing any of the songs. You know the Get Out of Town song. You knew the chorus. Because because, <laughs> because it's Get Out of Town a hundred times over and over again. Exactly. Exactly. That's the chorus. Right there. That's an example of a chorus. Everybody listening to this, if I told you to write a song called Get Out of Town, you could write this song without ever hearing it. Oh, you're so wrong. You're all writing it in your head right now, and when you put the CD on, you're going to be like, holy crap, these guys ripped me off. Uh, <laughs> all right, that's fine. That's fine. We all, we, I think we know why why Jay thinks that this band was successful. They have no choruses. Oh. That's okay. They were obviously very influential. Well, yeah, I think that's a legitimate point. I think there's a lot of bands that borrowed... At least from what the sound that these guys were responsible for. I mean, like I said, you listen to like, I mean, not that the Lemonheads and Buffalo Tom directly, you know, ripped this band off or anything like that, but there are just elements of those jangly guitars with, you know, those, I'm guessing they're playing probably SG, not just SGs, uh, Les Pauls or, what, what do you think? What's the guitar that they're playing? Um, I'm thinking they're. They have Ellie's? a hollow body sound to them. No, they have more of a hollow body sound to me. They're a Gretsch or a, a 335 or maybe even a Drickenbacher or something. I don't know. That's my my sense. I don't think it's a Les Paul. And I don't think it's I don't think it's a Fender. So, but yeah, I mean, if you're saying this band was around in the late 80s and early 90s, I mean, they yeah, 88, 89, 90 are when they they were kind of like the Arizona version of the replacements i mean they're around at the same time and probably influence a lot of bands um you know in the southwest yeah i i definitely hear the influence in terms of gin, the gin blossoms and the replacement or the refreshments especially in terms of you know uh, a lot of these songs have a little bit of a edge to them in, in terms of their lyrics and um they're not necessarily all just pop songs in terms of the songwriting so do you think uh on track 10 that that is the singer the the same guy singing that song that sings all the other songs um i believe so little boy it's kind of a ballady kind of thing yeah there's no indication that anybody else was singing wow the history of the band because so. at the at the beginning of the song, it kind of sounds like um, the way Duff McKagan sings, sort of this slightly off key yet charming sort of delivery. 
and then it gets into the the parts where he, he he's belting out some lines and it's like really off key and it, it's like up until this point you're like wow this guy's a really good singer and then that song comes on you're like who what is this and why is this it almost made me feel like it was a different like somebody else in the band singing it or something or wasn't the same guy but To me, that for, for the version I have, I don't have the last two tracks, so for me, that ends the album. Well, I'll get you those tracks so you can. On a weird note. Yeah. You should have said something. I should have. Uh... How was that to know? We had an issue with that other album where I, I gave it to you, and it was a half a track. I was like, 10 songs, cool. <laughs> Write them out. You should have known. It's the, it's the known. 90s, dude. <laughs> every song, every album's got to be 15 songs. <laughs> That's true. Where, you know there was there had to be an uh, ultra long jam at the end of the album. Yeah. So I, I I brought that song up because it has a nice, you know they take advantage of writing a longer song at the end of the album. It's like six minutes, which is easily the longest song, but it still has a full you know verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse, and then they just take like the last two minutes and kind of let the guitar shred. Wait a minute, track ten is six minutes long. So you're saying track 10 and 12 are both six minutes long? Well, track 10's Little Boy? Yeah. I guess six it's... minutes, 10 seconds. I guess, yeah, I guess I'm wrong about that. Holy crap, these guys are Genesis. Genesis. <laughs> this is The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. <laughs> not Foxtrot, buddy. Uh, We're not dealing look, with I think... uh, 2112 here. I know you want to paint me as not liking this album because I'm... A critical of the songwriting but I think it, it's a good album despite that it's a good album despite what's on it no I, I, I like you don't I mean shit if it had great songwriting and great performance and great I mean it would be a 10 out of 10 it's not a 10 out of 10 for me well if, if, if we're on a 10 scale it's probably a 6 sorry it's not the white album or I'll just say that for when we Van do Van Halen our- uh fair warning when we do our end of the year you know favorite albums that we reviewed this first year that this might this might be making an appearance for me all right calm down you've listened to a lot of wilco i think your head's clouded 
Yeah, nobody likes Wilco. Nobody respects what they do. Nobody. <laughs> it's, it's just skewed you so that any like bar band all of a sudden sounds brilliant. How is profound. Wilco a bar band? <laughs> you should at least bring up Sunvolt. They're much closer to being a bar band than Wilco. Wilco's like an experimental band now. They are now. I didn't say now. I'm talking about uh, AM or whatever. In you know the, how much in the time I love to be in, in bar watching bands those first two albums are more rootsy and bar band ish they didn't get all experimental until later and that's the stuff that you listen to six trillion times that's true i did listen to it six trillion times (laughs) see not only here's a little bit of uh internet trivia if you research the lyrics for the second wilco album i actually transcribed the whole album and they are on the internet with huh? There was a there's for you know for people back in the 90s that didn't have access to every website you know when you put in the lyrics for a band and there's like five million websites come up that have the lyrics it, it, you, there used to be just fan websites so there's okay. a, there's a website called Gumbo Pages which follows like Wilco Sunvolt Golden Smog Jayhawks Uncle Tupelo and they would ask for people who are fans of the band to send in the guitar tab send in the lyrics that sort of thing. Well, since I worked at the radio station, we got the Wilco Being There album a couple weeks before it actually came out. So I sat down and I transcribed all the lyrics and I sent them into the gumbo pages. So when you search for Wilco's lyrics to Being There, that's my handy. That's my handiwork. That's how big. So a if I fan. if I Google lyrics to Wilco's Being There, I'm gonna get Tim Minichi's yep transcription of the lyrics in the top results. Probably. Holy crap. As well as the guitar tab for one or two of the songs. That was. Has Jeff Tweedy called and thank you personally? No, but when I met him, I don't think I mentioned it. When did you beat him? Uh, it was at uh, when I saw them in. was on the tour for being there. I saw him at St. Andrews Hall in Detroit. This had to be around 96. Uh, same place we saw Manic Street Preachers a couple years back. Um, oh, wow. I went up to see him on being on the Being There tour. I was there with my roommate, Ben, and my other roommate, Charlie. And I flashed my WFAL business card. I think I say you flashed your boobies. No, at the end of the show, and I, was, I said, hey, do you think we could get, like, a set list or something to take back to the, to the radio station? Basically to put it up on the wall, you know? And they were like, oh, you're from a college radio station? And out come uh, Jay Bennett and John Stewart. Jay Bennett was the guitarist at the time. He passed away a couple years ago. And John Stewart, who's still the bass player. And they signed, like, set lists. And um, they signed, uh, uh, like, remember those promo flats that they would hand out? They signed a couple of those. I actually have it hanging somewhere in my house. And then they left, and then Jeff Tweedy came out, and he signed stuff, and we started shooting the shit, and he was like, so do you have a tape recorder? Do you want to do an interview? And I was like, oh, that would have been a really good idea. So I could have done an interview (laughs) with Jeff Tweedy after the show, but I didn't have a tape recorder. Oh, the iPhone would have existed then. Yes. You could have said, sure. Yeah. Right here, let me pull up my recording app. Exactly. Zap. 
but forever. That's my. And now story. we have to take your word for it. No, I have the autographed memorabilia. You can assign that yourself. Oh I, I come on! We have to get that verified. I have it. It's um, it's certified by the uh, Westinghouse uh, author uh, uh, signature authorization and certification uh, company. Yeah, whatever. <sighs> so that's that's uh, that's enough for stories from the '90s from Tim. Next week we'll we'll be talking about when Jay met uh, the guys from Shark Island. I don't like meeting band. I'm always disappointed, so I'd rather just not meet them. I'd rather just have them live in my head and listen to the albums and pretend that they're super cool and awesome people and, you know, mysterious or whatever and not be confronted with the reality that they're just typical douchebags like everybody else. <laughs> and on like... that note... <laughs> Like when Dooley used to used to hang out in Columbus a lot, and everybody was obsessed with meeting him. I'm like, I don't want to meet the dude. Like, I like the vision. I like the version of, of him in my head that I that I have when I listen to the albums. I don't want to like meet him and have him be a jerk and then be like, next time I listen to 1965, think about that. Yeah. I, I just don't need that. There's nothing. I don't have a demo that I need him to listen to or or anything like that. There's no reason for me to be shaking his hand and shoot to shit with them yeah i'm on that page with you all right that's about it for this week uh it's uh i think a, a thumbs up from me or a or a, a rolling stone tongue for me and probably a we need the middle of the road now uh from you what's what's yeah what's we do the middle of the road um sign or uh symbol that we can buy uh roadkill maybe it's I don't know. Maybe like a, trying to think of a Fleetwood Mac visual, <laughs> or uh, maybe Journey. I don't even know where to go with that. But okay. Well, you pick you pick things that were graphically, you know, you could yeah. see visuals. So I'm trying to think of another visual for rock and roll that would be sort of average. Did Air Supply have a average symbol? White band? this average white band for you yeah a little bit I, I think of the three that have been rec recommended um by give me the name john by john head candy 360s and the sidewinders i think this is probably the best one of the three all right well we're heading I, right I direction. Think there's, there's definitely a theme there i i think they all all three go to go together pretty well mm-hmm uh, get a good sense of what John's taste in music is. I think we do. And uh, and it's it's definitely a bunch of bands that I had no idea existed. So neither did I. Been... It has been useful. Yes. Uh, I think we're gonna move on to some other people who have suggested some some bands uh, besides <laughs> Neil and and John. We're actually gonna get into some other folks in the coming weeks who have been. Uh, kind enough to send us emails with suggestions and, and Twitter suggestions and all that sort of stuff. So we've got a lot. The next, uh, you know, it's July. Uh, we've got five months left in this year. Don't we have a bunch of Australian bands to do? We, we do. We're going to have some Australian bands. We're going to have some English bands. We're going to have some stuff that we've never heard of and some stuff that we're slightly familiar with. 
and already starting to work on the 2012 calendar. That's how many suggestions we have. So, wow. get your suggestions in at uh, use the email digmeoutpodcast at gmail.com and go to our Facebook page to suggest fans and visit our Twitter feed at digmeoutpodcast to uh, send us suggestions because we're, uh, we're loading them in for 2012 and soon we'll have that filled up and we have to move on to 2013. And, and apparently we're reviewing too many white male bands. So if you know of any rock bands that have black females in them, hey, we could do uh, Skunk and Nancy. That's on the list. I have that album. I think we just, to meet our quotas, we need to go ahead and do that. You to have make the, sure that I have not. that record too, so... Oh. Do you have the same one I have? Yeah, I do. Okay, good. We'll be uh, so we'll there on the list. We, we want to be well-rounded, you know, because, you know, uh, rock music is so diverse in terms of who plays it. Right, right. We've just been focusing too much on white males and that there's a whole ton of black female artists out there doing rock music that we're just purposely ignoring. I think you are... Um... I think you are making a point. I'm not sure what that point is. But I My point is is that don't expect any hip-hop reviews anytime soon. No. It, no. Tim will have to do a, a side podcast to make that happen. So if you ever miss a show, I already have in the uh, on the on-deck circle, Katie's waiting for a Chibo Motto review. Uh, I, I will do my best to make sure that uh, I'm always here so that our listeners don't have to be subjected to that. <laughs> I might have to start a separate podcast just for her bands so we can do Lush and Chibomato and Ben Folds have fun with that yeah it will not be called uh, Dig Me Out Searching for Lost Rock it'll be uh, called uh, something else good luck name <laughs> I'm gonna let you hang out there and see what you come up with I won't chime in on that one it'll be called Know Your Chicken there you go. <laughs> All right, I think we've beaten this one to the ground. Let's go. Ooh. Thanks, everybody, right. for listening. Thanks, Jay, once again. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed.